Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here today to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 262. This is the June 1990 uh, edition on sale April 3rd of 1990 with cover price of a dollar. This one's titled Scary Monsters. No super freaks this time. So this is an issue that eluded my radar. Um, Somehow I must have uh, not been at a place where I could easily collect comic books. So this is an issue that um, up until recently I didn't actually have in my collection. And when I say recently, I mean I found it at a garage sale like six years ago. I uh, I read this before, but in reading it, I was completely lost. I was like, I don't remember this at all. The only thing it's weird that because the surrounding issues I remember. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like the next issue, I absolutely had the previous issue. I had this issue. I didn't have. Um, I do, however, know that I've read this issue in the past because I remembered the final panel of this issue. But everything else, as we started out, I was like, I don't recognize this at all so on the cover we have forge we have banshee purposely uh facing away from us yep and in the background we have a silhouette of someone who doesn't appear to have arms and there are tentacles all over the place one of them has an eyeball yep it's it's uh you'd think it would be memorable but it's i don't know it's just not one of the most memorable uncanny Conceptually, it, it's it's very interesting. I I like this cover, to be honest. And I'm actually a little surprised because when I first looked at it, I was thinking that this was either a Sylvestri or maybe even a Jim Lee cover, but it's not. It's, uh, is it Kieran Dwyer? Kieran Dwyer, yes. So he does the interior and he does the cover. And then it's, uh, who's that? Jo- Joseph Rubenstein. So this is not the art that we will be treated to for the majority of the comic book. <laughs> so I don't know if they got lucky or if they were copying Jim Lee slash Sylvester and Green, but it's I, I think it's a really good cover. It's a good composition, uh, great proportions, um, good color scheme. Like this, this wins the T-shirt contest. And people look at this T-shirt and they're like, "I think this is X-Men," but I don't know any of what anything of what's happening on this on this T-shirt of yours. Well, without the logo. You really don't know what it is unless you recognize the the blue and yellow costumes. Right. So you can almost be like, you know, it could be like a sci-fi horror comic cover. So I like the cover, um, and I wish the art in the book was a lot like this, but it's not. It It's it's like hit or miss. Sometimes it's pretty good, and sometimes it's not. It's, it's just, it's strange how, like sometimes within the same panel, it's very good and also not very good. Yeah. I don't know how you accomplish that. You just get bored during the panel. On to the next panel. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I don't just open it up, and uh, it is, in fact, called Scary Monsters. Uh, let's see. Chris Claremont is the writer. Kieran Dwyer is the guest penciler. Joseph Rubenstein is the guest inker. Uh, Glennis Oliver is the colorist. Tom Marzakowski is the letter. And uh, Bob Harris is the editor. And Tom DeFalker, the. Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. He can be Tom DeFalker. Tom DeFalker as editor-in-chiefer. Hey, everybody, I'm Tom DeFalker. <laughs> it's a full-page spread of some freaks. 
I would argue that these are super freaks um, standing over the body. And maybe that's maybe that's the pun there. It's scary monsters. And then the picture is to represent the super freaks. But in any event, you've got a dude. I guess it's Wolverine. These because these are all X-Men E type freaks. Yeah. All of these people have like Morlock bodies and X-Men heads. So the Wolverine guy kind of looks like that old glowworm character with the tail. Yes. Who was the Cobra Law guy? Globulus. Globulus, thank you. I don't know why I know that. <laughs> and then you've got like a lizard long shot. They're all kind of lizardy. A bat. I guess that would be Angel up there, maybe? I think that's Cyclops because he's got his he's got the visor. I'm not sure who the person is with the mouth in his belly, but maybe it's Nightcrawler. Yeah, I don't know. It's not very clear who that is. It's maybe Bobby. It's somebody very happy. And then you've got, I think you've got Colossus with the tentacles coming out of his neck. Yeah, I think that's right. And then in the foreground, you've got a uh, mohawked Jean Grey who looks mostly normal uh, standing over the body of Jean Grey. Looks like the real thing lying at her feet, says somebody off panel, talking to somebody else off panel who are witnessing this scary monster scene. It's Forge and Banshee. They... Uh, when we last left, I think they were watching Gene on the Vizzy screen, and then we cut to them, or Gene being attacked by the scary monsters, but then I think, I don't remember what happened after that. I guess this is what happens after that. Yeah, they went into the Morlock tunnels, and uh, and here we are. That was technically two issues ago, wasn't it? I don't know, yeah. Did that happen last issue, or was that, last issue was a Jim Lee affair? It was... Hardwick and the Harry Harriers, Harry and the Harry Hardwick, <laughs> Harry, uh, what was his name? Hardcase and the Harriers. Harry Hardcase. Uh, yeah. Okay. It is in that issue. It's right in the middle of it. Jean Grey's like just walking around thinking about whether or not Scott wants to marry or whether or not mm-hmm. she wants to marry Scott and she gets attacked by some X-Men, but Banshee and, uh, I guess we we presume that Banshee and Forge are watching this and, and see this. We never actually see them say, oh, no, right. it's Jean. Right. She got attacked. We better go do something about it. They just do. Right. None of action. Um, just as, as it came to my mind, do you think that Harry and the Hendersons came out before or after Hardcase and the Harriers? <laughs> well, we could look that up if it was... Uh, it's important information. And I have a follow-up question because I don't really care about the, the previous question. I feel like H and the H is like a, a thing before Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah, it could be. Um, when's the last time you saw Harry and the Hendersons? Oh, my God. I never really liked that movie. <laughs> and the reason being, um, it's just kind of sad. I really don't like the scene. And this is the only scene anybody remembers from Harry and the Hendersons where they make him go away. Oh, and it's sad. Yeah, yeah. And I don't really care for John Lithgow as this type of character. I like him in other things, but I never really liked him as Dad Henderson. So as I, so, I don't think I've seen it since I saw it as a kid in the theater in uh, 1987, which is when it came out. So that would be well before the Hard Case Harry issue. You know, there was a Harry and the Hendersons TV show. I'm not surprised. <laughs> it was an everything TV show. Yeah. Um, it was uh, a Bill and Ted TV show. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I never watched either of those, but uh, uh, for some reason, I found myself recently watching Harry and the Hendersons, and it's 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 bad. It's really bad. <laughs> but I think as a kid, I was like, oh, I was stupid and liked it. Well, I mean, we like different things as a kid. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> it's okay. No, I'm ashamed of my younger <laughs> self. <laughs> um. So uh, Forge has got a clear shot, and and uh, Banshee's like, "Ah, oh, you're gonna kill him? You can't kill him." It's like, well, well before that happens, uh, the uh, Jean Grey uh, has an alien Jean Grey come out of her mouth, mm-hmm. which is kind of important. Well, it's not really important, but we did see it last issue, so it's kind of uh, just repeating that whole scenario. It feels like an alien reference, but maybe it's not. Yes, Jean Grey's um, face ex- expunges a tentacle with a jean gray head at the end of the tentacle it's it's pretty weird spirits above what a sight no that's oh, no, forge wait. who says that's that. forge let's uh well i'm just gonna pretend banshee said it sure why not you're talking about killing no way of determining if tranks will be effective it's the safest play which is i don't know feels a little out of character for forge to be like yep let's just murder all of them <laughs> We don't know what they are. We don't know if they're possessed X-Men. By the way, we are on the hunt. We are looking for the X-Men. Uh, so rather than trying to reach out to see if these people need help, let's kill them. Yeah, for all they know, these are the X-Men. Yeah. And they just have problems. Um, although the the fact that Jean Grey gets there throws a kind of wrinkle into that. But maybe that's a clone Jean Grey. Exactly. It's happened before. Yeah, so they don't know. Yeah. Uh, Ben, she's got other ideas. Um, and so he screams at them. Um, they all clasp their ears and I guess fall to the ground. And that's when Forge shoots a stun grenade at them, which arguably is a better plan than just murdering all of them. Yeah. It's like he kept that in his back pocket. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and before they can catch them or whatever, uh, or before they're fully unconscious, they teleport away with a Banff, which I don't think is important. I think it's just that they have a Nightcrawler amongst them. A teleporter, right. But I, I think the Banff itself is not like, oh, Nightcrawler's here. Oh, although I guess maybe they have a, uh, a Nightcrawler super freak clone. Or yeah, whatever that's what I mean. Are. But sure, I sure, mean, sure. you know, to the developer is, is. Is BAMP a official teleportation sound in X-Men? Have we seen other other teleporters BAMP before? Uh, I don't think so, but we've seen creatures called BAMPs. So That's true. Feel like Maybe these are BAMPs. <laughs> I feel like it should be very specifically like like nobody else does a snicked. Feel like... well, so I feel like the outline of the person with all the limbs kind of looks like a Nightcrawler-esque oh, yeah, yeah. type of guy. Sure, sure. But who knows? Yeah, you could be onto something. So they're all gone. Uh, Jean is still there, her unconscious body, the one that was attacked in that issue uh, a while back. And so they grab her and uh, take her back to the underground complex. Yeah, as as you do. Yeah. So uh, Jean gets herself cleaned up. She's uh, awakened from being uh, unconscious. And she she's not too terribly comfortable in this uh new costume i hate to sound ungrateful guys but is this what passes for x-men uniforms these days to which i say what it's it's the same as your x-factor i mean it's pretty like i don't know what's what's the difference between this outfit 
and another outfit. I don't know. I, I think it's well. The, what they're going for, for here is, and as we learn, is that Moira has uh, enhanced these, so they've got body armor and they've got other things to protect you. Uh, and and yes, it's they're they're um, edgy, just like Moira is now edgy. So from a visual perspective, I mean, I guess it's different, but I mean, it's got like uh like um. What do you call the, the underwear that goes up your butt? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, which is kind of thong weird. underwear, it, and I think the is, guys is, have is it, it too. Yeah, it, they do. But I just assumed that was a design. You think that's a like a thong? I guess maybe that's what they're talking about. I mean, if you look at Jean's butt, which she is showing us in this panel, her cheeks are clearly present, and the uh, thong portion disappears. Okay. And then you've got the, on the guys and the girls, so it's equal opportunity. You've got the thin strip of uh, yellow material over the crotch area. And again, I, I don't know if that's like a separate piece of material, but I think the, well, certainly like it's more provocative than, you know, the 60s blue and yellow costumes, which I think is what Jean's getting towards. And I think we're also drumming in the point that something's different with Moira. Yeah, which they, they directly talk about. Uh, I've known Moira Forge almost as long as I have Professor Xavier himself. And that goes way back before he founded the X-Men. It's Chris Claremont doing a little retconning there. Sean, I spoke with her recently. She didn't seem herself at all. Is something wrong? I need to tie. <laughs> it's, uh, it's nice to be able to just kind of write in like, I've known her for a long time and I just talked to her on the phone. I, too, am aware that something is different. And, and we remember in the last issue of New Mutants, Moira has known Cable for quite a while, too. Yes. So Moira knows everybody from back before X-Men number one. Well, maybe it's due to her mutant power uh, of resetting time that ultimately everybody has a past memory somehow of Moira McDaggart. They just think they know her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> in some timeline at some point they, they have, did, they yep. have met her. So, yeah, they're all confirming that something's wrong with Moira. Um, Banshee and Forge are like, hey, uh, by the way, uh, we're dead, kind of. Like, we don't want Moira to know we're alive because we're trying to unravel this mystery. Uh, and we're looking for the X-Men. And Jean's like, they're alive. You know this for a fact? Well, we were told not to tell, but yep. <laughs> <laughs> for the same reasons you just said. How could they? Have they any idea what they put us through? The grief? All for some blessed lie? Cut them some slack, Irish. <laughs> yeah. So, you telling me you didn't think what they did was wrong? Maybe. Maybe not. Probably made sense at the time. So, Forge is just a descendant of Wolverine now? I'm I'm just... We didn't have a voice for Forge yet, so I'm sorry. I'm like a, it's, it's, it's like a... It's not a Wolverine. It's, it's like a little slower... It's a little more Batman-y. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I tried to go deeper, but I felt like I was going to cough. Oh. So I got stuck at the Wolverine. Wolverine's like like the bare minimum I can go without like the, uh, getting my throat all messed up. Gotcha. Gotcha. We could go higher. Cut him some slack, Irish. <laughs> that doesn't really work. No. Uh, Forge doesn't care. He's like, well, they probably had a good idea, even though he was there and he was like, the guy that sealed their fate. Maybe that's why he doesn't care. He's like, whew, dodged a bullet there. I didn't actually kill the X-Men. I'd rather argue with the point with them than their ghosts, everybody. Jeez. 
And he talks about Donald Pierce and Donald, how Donald Pierce attacked um, Muriel uh, with the Reavers and the Freedom Force helped out. And Gene's like, Freedom Force? But they're not really? good people. <laughs> Unbelievable. So we do get some confirmation here, something that I think we already knew. Uh, somebody says that two of them are dead and one's crippled. Yes. Um, yeah, which we, yeah, we, we did know. Oh, we jumped, we missed a page though. There's a, there's a, there's a cut where the Reavers are attacking Frost Technotics, which is not a word. Is, Um, uh, Frost Technotics an established company in the Marvel Universe or is this its first appearance? I think this is its first appearance. I mean, as far as we know, Emma Frost doesn't have a technotics company which i'm assuming is technology plus electronics sure um yeah as far as we knew emma frost ran an academy for gifted children uh but in this issue we learn that she not only is she uh, i guess the owner of frost technotics but she's also like a multi-millionaire yeah yeah and i guess you know that may have just gone without saying just due to her personality but this this kind of establishes it uh, so we got Pretty Boy and we've got um, Bone Breaker, and they're they're shooting up the joint. Uh, Lady Deathstrike is there as well. Uh, Lady Deathstrike asks the guard where your employer Emma Frost is, and she says, uh, "Please inform her that we will she will be hearing from us again and again and again until we catch her." Good night. Yeah, and I don't. These don't remind me of the reavers that we've come to know and love these just seem like silly goons destroying things these well, are plot convenient uh moving the plot forward guys this, this is not like a well thought out scene this is just say i need to put in something here where the reavers attack are, are doing something yes to set up something else what you figure we're costing the white queen bone breaker seven, seven figures pretty boy eight if we're lucky Chump change for the witch, but after a few more properties, horror, go the same way. Then she'll start to hurt. I'm a pirate, if you didn't realize. Pretty boy says, found, or no, one of the random reavers says, found a security guard. Pretty boy jumps in saying, let me play, which I feel like is out of character. Um, and then they, I don't think it's, I mean, he probably wants to use his weird, uh, tentacle thingies that he always is trying to use well why won't you let me use the tentacle thingies i number one because it never works uh somebody always <laughs> cuts through them but number two i thought he only used those tentacles on women because he's pretty boy um, he's he's only into women we have no proof that he doesn't use i mean their their sole purpose is to control people correct so i feel like he would be okay with controlling a dude but I get—I don't know. Maybe not. In, in any event, you're right. It is all just for it, in service of the plot here, uh, which I guess I don't even know what the plot is. But yeah, I have no idea where this is going because, <laughs> like, if like I don't think Frost Technotics is a major player in upcoming issues, but I guess we'll find out. Yeah, I don't know. So that's when we we cut back to uh, the underground complex and we get kind of a detailing of the Reavers, the things that happen with Freedom Force. That's um, right, Miss Gray. With the casualties, prove it. Two dead, one crippled. So that's the uh, Destiny and um, Super Fast. No, not Super Saber. Stonewall. Stonewall. No, was it Stonewall? I thought Stonewall was the guy who... Avalanche. 
no avalanche no, Aval- got couple. avalanche lived i think you're right it's stony stone i mean he was kind of a useless character he was yeah he was the so the ones that lived were captain courageous and silver saber captain you mean uh, uh i just made up those names uh S- silver sable or silver S- surfer no super super, super saber. saber and uh the other guy commando yeah. captain captain commando what captain is, caveman <laughs> what is his name is it just commando C- conrad commando uh crimson commando sure i think that's what it is i, I, I that sounds that sounds pretty <laughs> about as accurate as we're gonna get uh, and so then they start talking about uh, Callisto. They're like, well, anyways, we know Callisto completed her mission, but she never returned. Callisto's mission was to come to the mansion and verify that the underground uh, complex was still intact. I guess. You see, Moira sent Callisto out here a while back to seal the complex against intruders. Oh, seal it. That's right. Even us? Gene, last we heard of X Factor, you were shooting off into space. We decided it was best not to take chances. Figured we could fix, always fix things later. Any road. We know Callisto completed her mission, but she never returned. You think Chris Claremont was trying to like sampling out any road? I feel like, yeah, I, I feel like that is not a mistake. I feel like he's like, let's make any road a thing. Any road. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work. Nope. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, so she's... what else is new these days? Uh, says Banshee about when when Forge says nasty budge Irish. Uh, everybody, you can't handle. Yeah, you can't handle this alone. I'm gonna call X Factor. Oh, they're not home. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where are they? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find out in X Factor uh, where they are. So not really. I mean. The implication, I guess, if we go if we go by what we read in X Factor, they're out looking for Angel, but and they have new communicators, which maybe they just didn't give Gene one. I guess, but and we know that Cyclops is off doing his own mission, but isn't there somebody missing? Well, I guess that's Angel. Okay, there's only five X Factors. I guess it makes sense. Yeah. Stupid. Um, why wouldn't like okay, ship ship doesn't know when the others will return. Why so wouldn't then we're on our own? Why wouldn't ship send out like another little mini ship to go find X Factor and be like, "Hey, Gene's in trouble." Yeah, why can't ship develop some sort of thing so that ship can be able to communicate with them at any time? Well, I think he does, and I think that's a plot point in the X Factor issue of like, we've got new belt buckle communicators, everybody, so use them. So they just like, didn't give Gene one. Yeah, but she called ship. She literally says here, ship doesn't know when they'll return. That's a good point. So ship, sh- ship could reach out and be like, hey, guys, Gene just called. I, yeah, I don't know. Seems like a plot hole. Where's our maybe, no prize? Maybe the, uh, well, we have to come up with an answer for why it didn't work if we want a no prize. Oh, is that how that works? The answer is that ship created these things and they don't work. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I've tried reaching, or maybe ship just doesn't like Gene. That could be. Uh, Jean's calling again. I never liked her. So they decide to wait for a little bit, uh, and Forge is like, well, uh, let me give you some antibiotics, Jean, because of that thing that happened. And, uh, ooh, Banshee, why don't you get some antibiotics, too? Because, yeah, you never know. There's a Forge says, you all right, miss? And then she says, my name's Jean. Is that necessary? I'm... Like I'm trying to think. Like, does she is she insulted because he called her Miss, or is she just giving him the information that he already knows that her name is Jean? I don't know. I don't have they 
I don't think they've ever formally been introduced to one another. So maybe this whole time he's known she's Jean because he's read the files, but he's being polite and calling her miss. And she's finally like, uh, my name's Jean. Friends call me Jean. You can call me lady. <laughs> you can call me miss. Um, and this is a good page where we get to see the little strips of, uh, underpants that you're talking about yep they're all over this page and they're weird yeah i don't like it nope (laughs) uh banshee does and he's he's flirting a little bit with gene he's like oh gene i must confess that suit or that uniform suits you don't be rude she says with a knowing grin she she jabs him in the stomach you Uh, silly boy uh, perish the thought, but she might uh, return. Uh, consider returning to the fold, I guess. Anything's possible, including you guys joining X-Fact Bamf. X-Fact Bamf? <laughs> she, uh, she gets cut off, and the two of uh, them, Banshee and Jean, get bamfed away. So and Forge says, question mark? Interior shielding must have protected us from the teleporter, but once we stepped outside, blast. For So for some reason... They didn't want Forge? Yeah, he's no good. (laughs) Oh, that man, he's got no powers. Yeah, they never really explain why Forge didn't get bamfed out. I guess, um, yeah, maybe they don't don't really know who he is because he's not an X-Man. Maybe. And he's never been an X-Man. So they're only looking for X-Men's. It's kind of like an X-Man poser. (laughs) He's wearing an X outfit. Uh, This next bit is is fun is interesting um the white house yeah we flip our attention over to to washington uh with valerie cooper uh a governor and then i think like uh an a uh, i can't remember what position an aide to the president and then our good old buddy pipeline yeah so uh, we were wondering about how his powers worked with the fax modem machine it literally is a fax modem machine and but we actually see that it looks like the he has to be there because the it looks like the people that beam into the room from genosha come out of his eyeballs it does and he kind of closes his eyes coded locked in transition acquisition we also get some fun stuff here establishing a secure comlink with his mainframe of genosha the farther he transmits the more careful he has to be to avoid the slightest disruption along the line mm-hmm. where he's concerned the ratio of signal to noise is literally a matter of life and death this is some like early computer stuff here <laughs> So he his job as security is pretty is pretty valid. So uh, uh he was captured by federal agents and, and taken to prison and the last thing time we saw him, I think he made the, the funny remark of I want my phone call and we thought, Oh, he's gonna make his phone call and get beamed out. But apparently I, he called the White House. <laughs> so somehow, yeah. Or he called Genosha and they called the White House. That's probably more likely. Somehow, yeah, I guess that's probably what the Genosian said is like, yeah, we'd love to come for your meeting, but we need mainframe to, or pipeline or whatever his name is, to beam us in. Because that's the only way we travel. Which <laughs> makes sense. We don't travel by plane. Yeah. Well, that pl- traveling by pa- plane is for suckers. Yeah. We can and, travel by I-beams. And so this is where we really ramp up the whole... Um, mutant genosian relationship here because they bring a child with them 
who looks terrified who looked absolutely terrified and and the, the White House people are like, what, uh, is, is everything all right with him or her? I don't know, with that person. I, they, they keep referring to the mutant as a person, and they're like, I don't know, it is fine. Don't worry about it. They have a discovery uh, discussion about uh, slavery, where the end of the day, the, the uh, Genotians are saying that as the United States, we... We have always been a slave-bearing country, but Genosha is not. Um, and Valerie Cooper says, that person's a human being. And they say, it only looks like one. It's actually a genetic piece of, a piece of genetic engineering with no more humanity than any other piece of technology, as is the module we seek, we seek to retrieve being Jenny Ransom. Mm-hmm. So they don't consider uh, their mutant slaves to be people nope and they also want uh philip uh i guess as an enabler or theft of the they want the u.s to extradite him so that he can stand trial for i don't know supporting the the robots or the uh the the genetic the biogenetic technology whatever they're calling it so the genosha guy here is also like we have always proved ourselves more than willing to assist the United States militarily, politically, economically, and will no doubt continue with uh, such stalwart support in the future. Is it so much to ask that in this one instance, the courtesy be returned? Yeah, that's... I, I wonder if these few pages were um, presented in the Extinction Agenda trade paperback. Because they seem be setting up the uh, pieces for that I having had that trade paperback I um, I honestly think it was no more than two pages and I don't think these were them but that said I haven't had it for a while so I, I have could, it I could I could easily like walk oh, over there it. and go get it but I'm not going to um, what okay. I do know is that the extinction agenda trade paperback has the original um, few issues of the X-Men uh, fight, er, meeting and fighting uh, ex- um, Genosha. So I guess it wouldn't surprise me that maybe some of the supplemental material this is there, but I don't remember. Me neither. Anyways, um, so they go on. The governor is here like, um, they're threatening us. Who does he think he is? And they're kind of having a conversation of like, oh man, what are we going to do? Like, we can't give the girl back. Where uh, Valerie Cooper says that they Genosha is a country that we owe roughly thirty five billion dollars, so we kind of uh, we don't really have too much of a choice in the matter. Is there anything we can do? Can can I? Don't, this is a part I didn't understand of what Valerie says. So the governor says, "Is there anything we can do?" She thinks to herself, "Quote can quote do not should," which I don't. Oh, maybe that means we can give Jenny Ransom over, we probably shouldn't. Maybe? I I mean at at the heart of it you're 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 right. It's the the idea is that the the governor is not as moral, I guess, as Valerie Cooper is. He she's he's thinking about things politically. But yeah, I was a little uh flummoxed by this too, in that like if I don't see too much of a difference between is there anything we can do versus anything we should do. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, uh, that isn't the real problem. One way or another, the Genosians mean to have back, have their girl back. 
is she a girl, Dr. Cooper? I mean, could they be right? Because they, I think we kind of glossed over this a little bit. They talked, you talked about it a little bit about how they're genetically engineered. They're not actually people. And then they go into the whole slavery and, and they're, you know, a little, a little bit of a revisionist history in that, it, you know, they were fighting separation, separationists. Uh, the slavery thing wasn't until afterwards and blah, 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 blah. So really kind of splitting some hairs about like what was the Civil War really about and slavery and such. Uh, and so she's not letting this go. And she's like, was Dred Scott a man, sir? Because technically by the law at that time, he would not have been. So how is this any different? Um and then she goes on to say, but there's more at stake than uh, the Genotians are ready to brand the X-Men as terrorists and go after them full bore. Who cares? Those muties are dead. But the Genotians claim otherwise. They want us to cede them authority to carry out uh, any such pursuit onto U.S. soil. No way! <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're, they're in a pickle here. The, uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the Genotians are starting to use their... Uh, uh, starting to take advantage of the relationship, it seems like, which mm-hmm. in the U.S. doesn't seem to have much of a choice. It's very political. Yep. Dead or alive, uh, they, they want um, carte blanche to scour the United States for the X-Men and do with them as they please. That doesn't sound like a good idea at all. No. No. <laughs> doesn't sound like the America I know. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, all right. Anyways, back to... Uh, the life, mansion back to, reality. <laughs> back to life back to reality back to the morlock caves um forge starts having a flashback back to vietnam um or was this is this prior to vietnam he is um the return of nays arguing with naze or nays um about whether or not he's going to go to vietnam and he he is going to go to vietnam and he does I wanted to be a warrior. When you're 18, glory matters, no matter what the cost. I was Shaheen, Shaheen, I think that's how you pronounce it, and the Nam, my chance to prove myself worthy of my warrior ancestors. Yep. And then he proves himself to be like a super awesome shooter. He always hits the target. In this last panel on this page, he kind of looks like Boba Fett. Oh, yeah. Kind of. With a jet pack. Pew. I put Captain Sulu in the cargo hold, <laughs> or the the new version where it's I put Captain or I put I put Captain Sulu in the ho- I can't do yeah, that accent. Yeah, when they decided to give him an accent for no reason. Oh, Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, so he keeps going on. Uh, he read the files. Um, the files showed Morlock turf extending a mile deep, uh, connected to the X Men mansion. Didn't save him. Outfit called the Marauders mostly wiped him out. The, the Morlocks, that is. Yep. He saved My, the files. Uh, he, he's memorized those files. But oh yeah, yeah. The his Morlocks outfit, were not. His outfit and Nam also were called the Marauders, I guess. And um, and uh, he remembers shooting a kid, I guess, for the first time, and uh, he feels pretty bad about it. Yeah, and as he's going through these various memories, he sees a. I would call it a brood-like uh, creature. I don't know if it actually is, but it's got the head and body of Storm, which kind of surprises him. Spirits, that creature has Storm's face. I have the shot. The woman I love, if that indeed's her, will never know what killed her. But he doesn't kill her, and then he, that's when he starts remembering the time that he shot the Vietnamese kid, 
uh, who was crawling through the jungle or walking through the jungle that he had the advantage on. And then we cut to a... Well, I would argue that in this... um, You learn that's what happens later. But in this little vignette here, or whatever you want to call it, um, he says, all I could see was a kid my own age. And then we see the kid, and then we see an eye, and then we see somebody get shot. And we don't know if it's the kid or Forge. Like, because Forge... um, paused the kid was able to get the shot on him or he actually shot the kid that was his own age well i'm using the uh the panels to determine that it was the the kid that gets shot you could do that it it seems like in every other so we cut to forge we cut to the kid we cut to forge we cut to the kid true yeah i suppose so anyways I, i didn't immediately i was reading this a little bit fast i'll be honest but I thought that there was a parallel between him not shooting Storm was a parallel between him maybe not shooting this kid. But, uh, spoilers, we learned in a few pages that he did shoot the kid, and the kid died. Yep. (laughs) But before we get there, we're at a hot art Street scene gallery. Yeah, man. And there's this new guy. His name is Peter Nicholas. Uh, he's a super, oh, he's the superintendent of the building complex, but at night, super. yeah, but at night he is like the hottest art guy in town. He's got his cowboy boots on. Um, his, some of his, his drawings are pretty risque. Oh yeah. Especially the ones on the right. Mm -hmm. Um, these are like, these are like playboy centerfold type. They're artistic because, uh, there's, there's some clothing and stuff. Actually, you know what? It's not Playboy this, if it's This painted. one on the right, has, there, there's no clothing whatsoever. On the right? Yeah, on the, on the far right, like upper, on the upper right side. She's got like, oh, you're right. She's, that's her hand, her arm covering her boobs. Yeah. I thought it was like a sheet or something, but. Uh, if it's art, if it's painted, it's pornography if it's a photograph. Uh, well, we know that he is a uh, sketch artist, so they we're presuming that none of these are photographs. And I'm kidding; it's not necessarily <laughs> porn if it's photographs. It's, it's, it's still pretty, uh, you it's know, okay. lurid for a uh, you know art gallery showing. But I guess I don't know. I've never been to an art gallery showing, so maybe this is what flies. It's just an excuse to show nudity, from what I understand. Could be. <laughs> and I'm not an art aficionado. So I like I like the stuff that's weird. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, she uh, or he sees the girl, the girl that's been on the billboard, the girl that's been uh, everywhere, and he runs out after her. This way, time she won't get away. And she sees her looking back, but also running to a car. She gets into the car and uh, he's like, stop, I want to talk to you. And that's when Jenny Ransom jumps out. I feel like this is way out of character, but I had a question. Like, is she, like, devolving? That's what it seems like. I had the same question because yeah. her, her 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 word bubbles, her dialogue are, are very, like, uh, monosyllabic. Yeah. Um, Want wheels stopped, P.D. Pell? What are friends for? So I feel like this kind of came out of nowhere because... When we first met Jenny Ransom, she's just a girl uh, that the X-Men meet. They go to the United States, and then more or less the next time we see her is when Peter rescues them. And I think we notice that maybe she's taller, but she's still, I feel, fairly articulate. This is Yeah, the... I, I, di- I didn't get any impression of this yes. from that. This is the first kind of, like, cavewoman 
yeah. want wheels stopped. And so she stops. She, she jumps out there. She stops the vehicle. Um, I guess they are kind of surprised. Like, are you strong enough? Speak your piece. They go nowhere till you say different. The door's locked. Not no more. And she rips Open the, the car. entire top off of the car. Which, I mean, I guess if they're trying to illustrate like a de-evolution of Jenny Ransom, I guess this is a way to do it, but it's way out of character for what we know. Like there hasn't been any build up to this. Interesting conversation between the two guys watching. Must be one of them mutants. Seen them, seen them on a TV. Boyfriend don't look none too happy about what she did, neither. Yeah. <laughs> it's random, but interesting. Helped friend, Phil, that bad? <laughs> and, then, and that's where it's just like completely devolved. <laughs> yep. It's like she goes from 60 to zero in four panels. Yeah. Jenny, you smashed the car. You can't do things like that. And now, evidently, Philip's her handler. So, <laughs> But to everybody, or to uh, Peter's surprise, Peter Nicholas, that is, uh, there's nobody inside the car. The driver's not there. The girl's not there. It's just an empty car. Later. So we cut back to the apartment uh, where the, the loft that Peter is living in. He's, he's drinking heavily. Some sort of uh, champagne, it looks like car moved it had to have a driver girl didn't girl got in didn't see her get out so where'd they go why does she keep after me if she doesn't want to meet women at the party throwing themselves at me but all i could think of was her maybe i'm Something crazy face and then so she looks at all of her all of his art and i guess it's all pictures that he's painted of her many of them nude continuing the risque theme some very weird uh close-ups of her face she looks kind of distorted i think all of these are are meant to portray um, sadness uh, and or rage. Like, not happy. He's not drawing happy, sexy images of a woman. He's drawing definitely emotionally charged. Uh, now, I can't speak for the, the, the art scene in New York in the 90s, but I find it very hard to believe that a sketch artist of nudes would be all the rage. I don't. If we look back at his art gallery... There's a bunch of scribbles on the left, so that's that's the weird, that's the avant-garde. Um, and then as you move to the right, that's where it turns into nudes. I just, I just, I mean, maybe there's something there. I, 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 I don't, I don't understand why things are popular. It just doesn't feel like this would be popular. But okay, in the Marvel universe, Adam. <laughs> uh, and so he. He's like, uh, why won't you leave me alone? Uh, it isn't. F and, uh, perhaps I'm a moth, he says. She says, because she shows up. Oh. And she says, perhaps I'm a moth and you're my flame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Stop playing games, he says. <laughs> he doesn't say anything like, hey, where'd you come from? Yeah. Some things can't be helped or get out of my apartment. Uh, <laughs> some things can't be helped. I'm sorry. And then Mask shows up behind her. Remember him? Mm-hmm. And that lends credence to your Callisto theory. She's totally Callisto. She's got to be. Yeah, you're probably right. I don't know how or why, but she is. But uh, again, I don't remember this, like... Resolving? Uh, yeah, I don't remember this this resolving, so I'm still... Like, I don't remember this issue or the next one. Or Yeah. And you would think that if, if, if she's Callisto and he's Colossus, like, the payoff would be that they found each other and they fall in love and... When things go back to normal, there's some elements of that. Not, I, none of that 
do I remember? So, no. well, they all disappear with a bamf, so you know they're connected to the earlier stuff. And uh, Colossus or uh, Peter drops his extra D champagne. Not sure what the extra D is for. Me neither. Extra diluted. <laughs> it's just water. <laughs> it's just it's just sparkling water. Uh, back to Forge in in the Nam, and uh, he was on a second tour when and it Brit looks like, Top uh, Kick costume. Somebody like, wants him to join Nick Fury in the Hellcats or whatever Nick Fury's gang is. The Howling Commandos. Yeah, Hellcats. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I work fast. Okay. <laughs> what I say doesn't make sense yeah. often. It was right in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Hellcats howl. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh Forge is like, nope, I've got a good team of people here. Um and I don't I don't want to do that shield thing. So My job's to bring them home safe and sound, and I would rather do that. Because I these they rely on me. And I'm a good guy. And a yellow Glove is holding a picture of some war people, so which I don't... apparently he brought down with him to the ca- to the catacombs, or is he? Well, or does he just have a yellow glove in the flashback? His glove looks very brown in the flashback. So we see it in this close up panel of Forge. I think present day Forge looking at this picture and remembering all of this. But in the very next panel, we see both hands on a giant gun. So he could have stuffed it in his pocket between scenes, but the question is, does he just carry this picture around wherever he goes? Because he didn't pick you know, it up from the uh, mansion, because he didn't live in the mansion. It's Forge. I think it's holograph technology, uh, and he just, like, beamed it into place. Sure, okay. So he doesn't really carry it around, but he carries he carries the ability to see it at any time. Gotcha. And that, these people don't actually look like this. This is just what he remembers them looking like. Yeah, yeah. yeah this yeah. is straight out of his brain. Yeah, it's deep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so anyways, footsteps are coming. He dives out of the way. A bunch of tentacles grab after him. Uh, his scanner is knocked away. Oh, by the way, um, he didn't just, he didn't inject Banshee and Gene with antibiotics. He injected them with a tracker for oh, yeah, yeah, that's some important. reason. I don't know why, but that's what led him down into these Morlock tunnels in the first place. He had a feeling. I guess. So yeah, the tentacles knock away all his stuff, but then they go away. And he says, uh, pretty impressive muscles behind him had me cold why didn't they finish me my scanner and then in the next panel he's got all his gun and stuff back so the tentacles didn't take anything interesting oh yeah that is interesting uh he's got the attention he fires off a flash bulb and he sees alana storm warlock nightcrawler demons scurrying away is the uh, Ilyana and Havoc one the same person? Oh, I didn't even see Havoc there. Um, or is it two different people that are kind of like rolling over each other? I want to think that they are the same creature. I like that idea. <laughs> that <they're the> same. <laughs> it's funny that there's a warlock one. Yeah. Monsters, all with X-Men faces. Are they the real things? Take the ponytail, like like the ponytail little man, says Beast Monster. Makes it easy for me to grab. Now you're down, I can Found you to a pulp. Forge kicks him away, uh, and that's where Bat Angel flies in. But this doesn't make any sense because Forge knows that Angel's all blue from Apocalypse because he read the files. Also, it's got a woman's body, strangely oh. enough. Woman's body, Angel's face. Hmm. But if he, was, if he was transformed once before, 
Couldn't he be transformed back again? Unless this is a bad guy somehow wearing Angel's face. No way of knowing which. If I hold back, I'm done for. And then Banshee shows up. But he's not yelling. He just jumps in. And we can't see his face. Fight for sore eyes, pal. Look out, Irish, above you. Crit is trying to garrote him. I don't know what that means. Uh, I don't don't care either. (laughs) I'm going to look it up. Okay. Because I'm that guy. (laughs) But I'm assuming, I'm going to guess that it means like stab. And he... In like a terrible way. Forge wonders, why didn't he use his sonic powers to protect him? Why is he fighting with his fists? Oh, he'll worry about it later. Storm is the one that evidently tried to garrote him. So he ends up shooting Storm. But he doesn't realize it. He's like, oh, I got to save him. Oh, no, Storm! So garroting is to kill somebody by strangulation, typically with an iron collar or a length of wire or cord or hmm. tentacle. Oh. And print it says in tentacles. So yeah, maybe maybe that's how octopus pus, octopi kill their prey by garroting them. I could go them. for an octopi. Yeah. <laughs> eight, Strawberry. Eight pies. <laughs> uh, and then a whole bunch of monsters scamper around. Yeah, because he killed somebody, most of the monsters run away. Should check. And uh, he checks Storm's pulse, but there's no real need. Just like the drill instructor said, with a rifle, I'm the best. And we get a flashback back to the kid that he killed. Closes his eyes. Says, you get used to it like anything. Try to help others do the same. And he's they're consoling his buddies. And apparently they, they killed all of the Viet Cong troop. And... Gene from off panel says, save your grief, Forge. That isn't Storm. And uh, Forge is like, you with Banshee? Is he okay? And she's like, well, as well as can be expected, all things considered. Sorry, Forge. Sean can't speak for himself right now, and I'm afraid since you last saw us, there have been some changes. (laughs) And this is a pretty memorable panel because Banshee doesn't have a mouth, and... uh... Gene Gray's got a whole bunch of tentacles, which I presume are the tentacles from before. So I'm guessing maybe she saved Forge earlier. Oh, that could be. Because maybe somebody was like walking by and she's like, I need to move him. And um, and their, their, their tidy spandexes are really showing in this panel. Oh, yeah. Little tiny strips. Awful. <laughs> it's pretty terrible. I like these costumes. I just don't like the strips. Yeah, I think if you got rid of the strips and kept everything else, it would be okay. Or if you made the gave them yellow underwear, like like old school underwear, not trunks. You could go speedo, but but these strips are just too much. Yeah, or or even they could just be like triangles that are just underneath the X, so that it completes the triangle that's from the chest down. Well, I think that's but, what's happening here. It's just well, that, that's what's happening. But I'm saying thin. I'm saying like cut it off way before the crotch. Oh, so it's so just like, an arrow that points to the junk? Yeah. <laughs> I'd prefer that uh, instead of a strip that goes over the junk. Maybe that's just me, though. I know how you feel about your junk. I like things pointing at it, that's for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Um, scary monsters. Super freaks. I don't know where this goes. I don't I don't remember it. And to, to, to a degree, this feels, feels kind of fillerish. Um, I don't know. I'm in. It's hard to say at this point. It, uh, I, I don't think it's fillerish just because it's, it's telling the main story, which is that the, everybody's looking for the X-Men. They're doing different stuff. 
Sure. But well, the um, rest of X Factor's not looking for the X Men, and Jean wasn't looking for the X Men until well, it, she it's was a continuation for the of of Forge and Banshee looking for the X Men, and Jean just gets involved. Sure. As a, she's she's a loner from X Factor. All right. Well, there you go. Um, we we do have some fan mail. Uh, sure do. Kind of kind of dug through the mailbag and uh, found some place found some found some that we missed. So some, we're sorry, but some, if you're still the, listening, some of the iTunes things, yeah, from way back when, yeah, yeah, that'll happen. I mean, we don't do X uh, iTunes all that often, um, and uh, and some of these like foreign ones we may have already done for all I know. I don't <laughs> keep track of them, so so we should probably stop doing those. But uh, you know, it's, it's it's cool that we have listeners that aren't just from this country. It's I, I think it's pretty neat. So I like to I like to bring it out every so often. Sure. Even if it's the same one over and over again. <laughs> Every few months, we should just read the same review from <laughs> from whatever foreign country we find. And that could be your review if you leave a, a five-star review on iTunes, because we only read the five-star ones. Yeah, yeah. Part yeah. of the deal. If you leave a four-star, then like it's either one or four. Yeah, and then we're and we're not going to read anything one through four, so you might as well leave a five if you want to be on air. Yeah, because I I I know this is very valuable to everybody, <laughs> having two random dudes on the internet read your names. Yep, it's it's uh, it's it's um, an eighth of a second of your fifteen minutes of fame. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, uh, Verno Domingo back in February right before the pandemic was sitting down on his computer and he's like, Oh man, nothing's going to stop me now. I'm going to leave this review and then I'm going to go outside and hug people. Um, and then like two days later, it's like, damn, I'm stuck inside. Uh, I should rescind my review. Uh, it's not like the world is crawling with people that just read the first appearance of Dazzler and are dying to talk about it. So it's nice to know you can always go see what these two had to say about it or anything else that happened in X-Men through the 60s, 70s, and most of the 80s so far. Their chemistry is great, and their commitment is something to be applauded. Hey, yeah, we're actually done with the 80s now. It's so, the 90s, y'all. We already, we've covered three decades of X-Men. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's crazy. What is wrong with us? <sighs> I don't know. Nothing else thank to do, you, I guess. Thank you, Verno, for a very concise summation of what we do. That's, that, those are the best kind of reviews. We just kind of tell you, tell you are you going to like this? Here's what it is. I appreciate that. Uh, and it's good to know that our chemistry is still great after all these years. Right. Uh, Gato Clint uh, in September... Um, well, you don't recently. think it's Gato Clint? Could be Gato Clint. I don't know. <laughs> Reminds me of Gator. Uh, he says, thanks. These guys are awesome. I keep coming back to this podcast, and it's consistently well done and enjoyable. Thank you, Adam and Jeremy. Do you think he keeps coming back because he gets sick of it? <laughs> and then after like a month, he's like, ah, I wonder what those guys are depth talking about. Yeah, yeah. I think we're, <laughs> we consistently drive him away. And, and, and he come, and, keeps coming back. He keeps coming back on his own volition. It has nothing to do with us. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if it's still as bad as I remember. <laughs> yep, still is. <laughs> uh, new listener. Thanks, Gato Clint. Uh, Angus Livingston. Oh, this is from uh, March. No, April 5th, 2019. So not, not a new listener, uh, but hopefully a current listener. Um, 
So new listeners started from the very beginning. It's been great thus far, and I'm only too happy to be along for the ride. Well, I hope you're still along for the ride. And he is one of our Canadian listeners. Yeah. Charles McCoy from Great Britain back in March of 2019. Yeah, we were really bad at getting those uh, international iTunes there's, reviews. There's nothing, not, like we don't get notifications or anything. No. I wish there was a way that would like notify us like, hey, you have a new review. Yep. I mean, and this is this is like, I don't even know if we get reviews on other apps. Like, oh, gosh. Like not iTunes. So so if you're leaving a review on not iTunes, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> yeah. If you're figuring I, out I, a w- way to leave a review on like Stitcher. We, yeah. We I, I would it. love to read those, but I have no idea if they exist or not. So, uh, I, you know, I if, if, if they actually told us, that would be great. But I would say at this point in time, unless you're going to tell us how to read it, you probably don't want to waste your time. Uh, let's see here. Um, yeah. Charles McGoy. Yeah, he says, uh, love the show. Been going back to the classics from the 60s, and they're brilliant. Thanks to Adam and Jeremy. What a great podcast. Thanks. Hori. I don't know what that means. Was that? That's a reference to something, isn't it? I don't know. It's, hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's either a name or it's a slang. Hmm. Um, it's a great British thing, I guess. Okay. Uh, uh, showing showing our ignorance for anything uh cultural <laughs> well uh do as i wait do as i do when i'm in great britain which is never and have <laughs> some quality canned spotted dick there um, okay. some somebody in london was like ha ah, he made a reference uh, okay <laughs> i don't get the reference but i'm i'm Look. glad you're you're appealing to a specific niche of our <laughs> listeners look it up well, I mean, be careful as you look it up. But look yeah, it up. It's, it doesn't sound safe for work. <laughs> uh, all right. Brian, who always delivers the goods, um, has, has some thoughts for us. Do you want me to do this one? Yes. Hey, Adam and Jeremy. Another quality two-hour barn burner of an episode, 303. Though I did notice that you encountered a few challenges along the way, possibly due to fatigue. <laughs> well, you know. Which is entirely understandable. So... In service to the greatest X-Men podcast on the planet, I figure it offer to help you clean up yet another, after yet another, all-night, wild all-nighter. I am butchering this. Yeah. Entirely pro bono, of course. I think you're showing your fatigue. <laughs> <laughs> I am always fatigued. In no particular... It's 2020, man. Yeah. In no particular order. Number one, The Last Crusade was and is the best Indiana Jones film. Come on, fellas. I can't believe you whiffed on that one. No. Adam, aren't, aren't, okay, let's, let's get this squared away. Um, I know that you like, um, Temple of Doom more than I do. Yes. Probably more than most people, (laughs) but I will, I will give it this. I will give it it's just desserts. I saw that in the theater when it came out and I loved it. It, That is a kid's movie, even though there's like monkey brains and like uh, bugs and stuff, which honestly I think did maybe give me like slight nightmares, but all of the like the water, no, it wasn't a water slide. It was like a roller coaster, that whole train or the whole uh, mine cart sequence. A lot of fun. Um, yeah. uh, the heart, like pulling the heart out. Uh, um, Terrifying. Short round. Short round was great. Even the opening scene where uh, uh, he gets poisoned and then they're running Dance behind them. the gong and everything. Um, yeah. Uh, but as an adult, I've rewatched it and I'm like, 
this is this is so cheesy. So <laughs> it is. That's I, what I love about it. I am I am to be sure a Raiders of the Lost Ark guy. Um so there. But 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 when we get to Last Crusade, I like it. I don't it's love good, it. It's a good quality movie. Yeah. It is uh so 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 Raiders of the Ark, Raiders of the Ark, Raiders of the Lost Ark even. <laughs> even, yeah. Um is obviously the best one. Now, um, I could con- it, I would concede this real quick. As a kid, Raiders of the Lost Ark is kind of boring when you put it next to Temple of Doom. Okay, yeah, I could see that. But no. if 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 I would argue if that's the case then Last Crusade is probably also boring. But then again, maybe maybe Last Crusade is the perfect mixture between the zaniness of or let's say the con- the comedy of uh Temple of Doom and the seriousness of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Could be. I mean, as I in my recollection of it, uh um Last Crusade definitely turned up the special effects. Uh and while it's not action packed, the action sequences are probably way better choreographed. Although it's hard to argue with that minecart scene. That that's a really well executed scene, even though it's like this is really cheesy <laughs> that that this is happening. So my problem with the Last Crusade, and it's it's kind of gonna sound silly because I just said how much I love how silly uh, <laughs> Temple of Doom is, um, is that when 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 they bring in Sean Connery, it just becomes kind of silly and jokey and a little bit cheesy for me. Um, and that's just kind of a, a, a thing. I, it, it becomes a little hokey. Um, whereas I feel like uh, Temple of Doom is over the top hokey and done on purpose and in the best way possible. Um, but that's just a personal thing. Sure. I like the relationship between uh, that's those are my favorite parts uh, between Harrison Ford and uh, Sean Connery. So for me, anyways. I and they're the most memorable parts, but I, I feel like it borderlines. It it gets too closely to silly, especially when you're having like all these death defying, like the stuff on the tank when he's like bopping around. It's like, oops, I accidentally did this. Oh, yeah. oh no, that's uh, when they're flying the airplane and he accidentally yeah. shoots off the the tail. Oh, it, it, everything's it fine. All, it all gets kind of silly, and I'm just yeah. like, eh. but uh, the thing about Raiders of the Lost Ark is that, like, at least as an adult. I I don't have I don't see anything wrong with that film. It's it's a near perfect film. In my opinion, I I would agree. When I was a kid, uh, I liked it a lot. Uh, the the when they get to uh, Cairo and they're hanging out with Sala and we're dealing with the prunes or the dates rather. That was the point when I was a kid. Where I was like, oh, snorefest, right? But you know, as an adult, all of that stuff works and it builds up towards uh, where you're going in, in that entire. Um, movie and i think the other thing is it it, it is um it, it takes all that there's no slapstick really in raiders of the lost ark which i think there's i wouldn't call what they do in temple of doom slapstick i would call it more over the top and then when yeah. you get to last crusade is when you get to what you were talking about the jokey yeah, slapstick the, 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 stuff the slapstick yeah yeah so i guess you know I, there, you could argue that there's just something for everything in all of those movies uh, but yeah, my my personal preference is is that first one where it's just it's it's played pretty it's played very seriously, but it's also lighthearted enough to be kind of a fun uh, adventure. They're all good, and it's a good thing they never made another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, geez, uh, remember remember that rumor of the Crystal Skulls movie that they they were oh, talking about making? 
Boy, that would have been terrible. Yeah, they were talking about casting Shia LaBeouf. That would have never worked. Glad they didn't do that. See, in my universe of the Mandela effect, it never happened. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. They're making another one, supposedly, and I'll probably go see it. Because I am that sad individual. The question... And we don't need to get into it too much. But the question is, is they really left off Crystal Skull as like handing, I think, didn't he give Shia LaBeouf the jacket and maybe even the hat? He, the hat blows towards Shia LaBeouf and you're thinking, oh, it's the handing off of the mantle. Yeah. But then Indy grabs it from him as he leaves. Oh, okay. And you're like, oh, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh yeah. And I didn't mind Shia LaBeouf. He, no, Shia LaBeouf like, is fine. That it's not a bad movie for the first half hour. I really liked uh, um, what's her name, Karen Raven. Karen what's her name? Allen? Karen Allen. Yes. I was so glad She's to good. see her in a movie. She she looked fantastic. She picked up like right where she left off, and I don't think she's been in a movie for like years. Uh, and she jumped right in, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then, I don't know, somebody was swinging from vines with apes, and I don't know. And then I fell asleep, and then there was like a spaceship, and I was like, oh, I'm If doing, you just I'm out. stop the film after they leave the country, then you'll think that was a pretty good film. <laughs> I didn't even mind the uh, refrigerator bit. I didn't mind beginning. that either. I thought that was fun. I was like, this is what, it's the 50s. And of course, whatever this adventure is, is taking him to a nuclear test zone. Sure, refrigerators were made out of lead. I'll buy all of this. This That puts... harkens back to Temple of Doom. That is a Temple of Doom style, over the top, ridiculous thing. That was fun. Yeah. So anyways, there you go. That was uh, Indiana Jones talk for this <laughs> week. Uh, join us next week when we'll be discussing the uh, franchise Goonies. Goonies. That's okay. not a Goonies franchise. That's not, that's not a franchise. Uh, um, the the fan fiction Goonies franchise that I'm writing. <laughs> we haven't done Predator yet. Oh God! Back to Brian's letter already in progress. Oh right. Two fact check issue two fifty eight was not the first time that Jubilee was referred to as Jubilation Lee. That happened in Annual number thirteen, which you probably forgot about her second appearance, and she was explicitly revealed to be the daughter of Asian immigrants in the same issue, not Hispanic or of an unspecified origin. I blame a range of artists' interpretations of a still new character with extenuated West Coast 80s cultural traits as the reason for your confusion prior to Jim's Jubilee. Well, yeah, I, I think we kind of alluded to as much that the the art was probably the main reason that we were kind of uh, yeah. confused the art, about that. The art was back and forth. She said Chica a lot, and we couldn't tell if that is she <laughs> is she Hispanic or is like is Chica the cool thing to say if you're a 90s or late 80s teenager. We didn't know. Uh, and then the other question, so I don't disagree, and I, I'm not going to fact check it because I'm sure he's right about Jubilation Lee being referred to in that annual. I think our question was, did that annual actually happen? Because there's also a scene of Gateway saying, hello, child, which is completely out of character. So while it was an interesting story of like, I think that's where she, she fights like the, the dogs, the... the um, yeah, the, the Reaver yeah, dogs. Yeah, the Reaver dogs, and um, she's not sexy. She's a kid. She's like... She's like a 13-year-old kid that looks like a 13-year-old kid. Uh, and I think I liked all those qualities, but I think the question really was, is like, is this just like annual like nonsense or did this actually happen? So. I'm shocking the, the gateway scene to be a dream sequence. I mean, sure. that way we can keep it in canon with 
what uh, Gateway has never done before. Sure. And I don't specifically remember Jubilation Lee uh, or her origins being specifically of Asian immigrants, but... I think she had like a picture of her parents or something that and talked be. about it. But yeah. Maybe so, she called them the rents. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Number three, addressing the reason why Jean appeared sexy on page 14. I strongly believe it was because of the narrative and symbolic function of the scene. Wolverine, like Psylocke before him, was being psychically pre-reprogrammed by the hand. The three women who appear to him, Jean, Mariko, and Yukio, are representative of the psychic anchors that have historically grounded the animalistic side of his psyche. The women also represent specific female archetypes, the lover, the maiden, and the huntress. By using the intrinsic sexual qualities of the lover, Jean, to seduce Wolverine, the hand were attempting to convince him to surrender control. Didn't you guys cover Greek mythology in ninth grade literature class? Just test too much Sega Genesis the night before. I never couldn't afford a Sega Genesis. Come on. Yeah, we had Nintendos. Yeah. <laughs> Only the cool rich kids had Genesises. Exactly. And they probably also had like Ataris and all sorts of different things. Yeah. Uh, I Yeah. I still think you can show a lover without it being sexy. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I mean, it doesn't like it can be it can be loverly without without being it can be romantic without being sexy. Let me put it that way. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I also agree uh, with this statement here. Uh, I think from a visual perspective, uh, it it definitely conveys everything everything he's saying here. Now, as to Greek mythology, uh, that stuff always it all bored me. (laughs) I was more of a Roman mythology guy. As soon as we got into Greek mythology, I was like, yeah. I was a uh, dumb kid in high school, and um, it wasn't until uh, post-college that I started getting into history. Oh. Uh, yeah. Do you consider Greek mythology to be history or mythology? I, su- I, I, suppose, <laughs> I suppose if you're uh, – if yeah, it's, it's, it's not really – I mean, I guess it's a part of history, but it's not something – if you're studying history, you may not necessarily cover mythology. I didn't. Um, so I, I took like a, a class in two classes in history it was world history. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I couldn't believe I found this stuff boring in high school. I thought, what was wrong with me? What have I, what have I wasted my life doing? I can't remember which mythology Romulus and Remus came from, but I found that story fascinating only because I was familiar with those terms from a little show called Star Trek. Yeah. That's Vulcan mythology. <laughs> no, there's uh, Romulus and Remus were like, Either Greek or Roman uh, twins. Yeah, I I am familiar with the names. And, and then it was co-opted I, for Star I Trek. I couldn't tell you what, what it was from. Yeah. Anyways. To conclude the letter. By the way, X-Factor 51 might be the most balanced, perfectly constructed issue of X-Factor so far. The tension of the Sabretooth A-plot segged nicely into the B-plot with Opal and the Morlock, which in turn merged well with the C-plot of X-Factor decompressing after the previous story plot, which then dovetailed again to the A plot cliffhanger, it was a perfect take breath kind of issue. I think we like that one. Yeah. Uh, well, still doing the work of renewing momentum for the series. Plus, I'm a sucker for Christmas related stories. 10 out of 10. Keep up the great work. Remember to pace yourselves. There's still a long road ahead. There's no pacing ourselves. This is, this is, this is just how it is. Yeah. I think maybe that issue was also the one where the locust returned. I don't think so. I oh. think it was the one after that, but okay. I could be wrong. I do oh. recall enjoying that 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 story. So, 
the, with uh, Opal, Iceman, the Morlock. Yeah. Was that the one? Now, now I'm wondering, but I could be wrong. Uh, anyway, it, yeah. I usually am. Anyhow. If there's somebody who's going to be wrong, it's usually me. Yeah, I think I have my fair share of being wrong, Adam. Yeah, but I, I am way more consistent in being wrong than you. <laughs> wrong. I'm more wrong than you. <laughs> All right, well, if you want to point out how wrong either one of us is, you can do so by contacting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, going out to facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, uh, Twittering us at Danger Room Go, or emailing us, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com. Go out to iTunes, as many of the folks in this week's episode did, and leave us some feedback, and maybe, you know, next week or a year from now, we will read it. Uh, you can also leave us some stars or uh, subscribe to us. Uh, also head out to patreon.com forward slash danger room where we've got some Patreon exclusive content that is free for the public so you don't have to feel obligated to become a member or subscriber. You know, although one day, you know, in 2022 when this pandemic goes away, we <laughs> we might lock it back down just to, you know, but for now, gates are open. It's free hey, for in all. Florida, the pandemic's over, right? <laughs> I think there's a couple of states in the union where the pandemic just doesn't exist anymore. Certainly on most college campuses, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Never getting out of this basement. <laughs> <laughs> our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. Uh, and as long as we're stuck in our various houses and basements, I guess there's more comics to be read. Yeah, um, for sure. I'll tell you one comic I read that I am just about done with, and that is Excalibur. <laughs> I, I, well, okay, so this is Cross Time Caper, part 11 of 12. Ugh. Um, and, it can't uh, be over soon enough. <laughs> I mean, we could just stop covering this after <laughs> after issue 12. I don't know. We'll see where it goes. I think Alan Davis is not long for... Uh, I have this feeling that the Cross Time Caper is his last issue. Well, the next issue, the next issue of... Uh, across time caper, which I guess would be issue twelve, is Alan Davis. So you could be right. So it it could all be over. This is a nice cover. I, is this cover a reference to Days of Future Past? It certainly it certainly feels like it. It's the right angle. Got a wanted poster behind Kitty. Kitty in the foreground. I feel like the, it's an homage. Uh, okay, because the the wanted poster is also humorous in that it's the same look <laughs> on Kitty's face. It's funny. Yeah, it's good uh, stuff. That's 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 Alan Davis for you. Yeah, man. I feel like he's a clever... I bet you he's a fun dude to hang out with. But even he can't save this issue because no. it is a mess. Yeah. There's just so much going on at this point that, like, it doesn't matter how good your art is. It, there are too many word balloons. Like, at some point, Chris Claremont, you need to, like, count the word balloons and be <laughs> like, nope, this is too many. I need to figure out a way to do this where I'm not saying so much and make it make more sense. The problem is I don't know where anybody is now. So we had thought that Kitty was in the real world. See, I wasn't even sure if this was the real Kitty in this issue. I, I'm thinking that this is a different Kitty. You might be right, actually. I didn't even consider that until you just said that because Kitty is also, like, all-powerful in this world. So I think you're right. I think whatever reality we're in, this Kitty is not our Kitty and so you got to ask yourself, like, how, how much does this any of this really matter? Uh, well, I mean, you know, the, the rest of Excalibur are the rest of Excalibur. Yeah. Um, Kitty does die in this issue, but then she comes back at the end somehow 
which I didn't understand. Um, so she like possesses Megan's body or something. Some neat highlights because I I can't. This isn't a cohesive story. There's a lot of things as you mentioned happening. Uh, I can say that most of it is tied up at the end. <laughs> so it's the future. Yeah. It's, there's a Judge Dread sort of reality going on where the cops or like over enforce reality people. There are very tall buildings where society is divided up into people who live up high and people who live down low. And as classically, the people that live down low are usually the dregs of society or the poor people or uh, people who have to struggle to make ends meet. And uh, you know what that reminds me of, Adam? A movie. Yes. What movie? Land of the Dead. I've never seen that. Really? Hmm. I've only seen Dawn of the Dead. Really? Of the, of the, of the uh, what's that guy's name? George Romero. Of the George Romero oeuvre. I've only seen Dawn of the Dead. I love Dawn of the Dead. Really? It's a great movie. But I haven't seen any of the other ones. Yeah, but which cut did you watch? The, I think I've seen both of them. The theatrical, well, both of them. Oh, is there more than? There's more than two. <laughs> there's the theatrical cut. There's the director's cut, and then there's the Italian cut. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know then. I've seen. Um, I think I have. I have it on DVD, and I think that has at least two of those cuts. <laughs> Dario Argento, I think, was a backer for the movie, and somehow oh. or other, he got the rights to make his own cut. Uh, and release it in, uh, I guess, Italy, right? And that's where Dario Gento is from? Yep. And uh, he cut out all the comedy bits and just made it like a straight-up horror. I've never actually watched that cut, and now that I'm talking about it, I think I kind of want to. And I'm sure <laughs> I've got like three or four Dawn of the Dead editions floating around the house, so I should go find that uh, and check it out. But anyways, Land of the Dead, uh, I it's, it's uh, divisive. Uh, Many people watch it and think that George Romero has lost a touch. I watch Is that it. The one that has the um, the Blair Witch camera thing, where it's no all god, from... oh god, no, 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 nope. We don't. Was that also a George Romero film, or is that not a George Romero film? It was a George Romero film. Okay, it was. All right. <laughs> yeah. So, Land of the Dead was a, a studio uh, pick. Uh, George Romero uh, didn't. I don't know that he got either final cut or full creative control. I think he had some producers kind of helping him make sure that it was a theatrical theatrically viable film. Um, but it's divisive in that many, some people don't like it. Uh, I liked it. And, and it is, just follows that same topic of the, they, you know, it's, it's, it's over like society's collapsed. The zombies have everything, but there's kind of this, um, little island that's separated by multiple bridges they were able to get the bridges up and now society lives in this giant high-rise building the rich people are all on the top and then your dregs of society are all living on the bottom and then there's kind of like this morality of like are we really free are we really safe you know so it's a it's a sci-fi trope it's in yep. a lot of stuff um this kind of goes a little bit further in that the further down you go you get to basically uh nonsensical mutant types i guess uh uh, like the next step of de-evolution from Morlocks down would be kind of just like zombie-ish mutant type creatures. So we get down there the further down you go. Yeah. Um, there's the, the ground is now all water, which was interesting. I guess it's also heavily polluted as well. The further yeah. down you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So going back to the, the justifiers, is that what they're called? Justicers. 
Uh, they, yes, they're very judge dread. Uh, so number one, they're by the book. If it's against the law, then they can't do it. Uh, and that includes like, even if they've got a suspicion of a crime occurring, unless there's, um, um, uh, like a warrant or, or, or suspicion, they, they'd like, oh, hands off. And then they just go off onto the next thing, but they're also judge, jury and executioner. So there's yes. that aspect as well. Um, Ileana's here, uh, and she's doing a lot of magic stuff. Yep. Uh, um, she's Dr. Strange in this uh, oh, society. Okay. And um, she's got the whole like Dr. Strange outfit going on. I didn't even, I didn't even catch that. That was kind of cool. Doug Ramsey is alive in this universe. Uh, and apparently brought back to dead legally. He talks about later, uh, at some point he's like, I was, you were brought back. And he's like, I was brought back legally. <laughs> and, uh, Nightcrawler meets, his human equivalent so it's a it's a person who is not a mutant uh a justicer that just looks that looks just like him uh so that that's an interesting bit um nightcrawler is arrested or violating immigration statuses but since he doesn't have powers so they think he's not sentenced to death or he is he's ultimately sentenced to death but there's something else about people with superpowers yeah, somebody says it that it would be worse if yeah. you had superpowers. So he's on like this, uh, this, this cart heading towards, I think, their death. Uh, Davy Banner is there, uh, a large green man. Uh, there's a guy who's got a hunchback, but kind of is also wearing Toad's outfit. Spider-Man is in there. Yeah. Um, if you go to the the panel with all the people in the background, Spider, you can see Spider Man's head and one of his legs. He's kind of hidden. Yep. Oh, I see him. And then there's some dude in the foreground, or maybe it's Spider Man. I can't tell. Who says, "Help me, help me"? I don't know who that is. Is that supposed to be like uh, a reference to the fly? Uh maybe. I mean, he does have. There's a guy in the foreground has like fly eyes. There's a guy. His, his name says Brundle. Oh, uh, so it's like uh, sure. that's a reference to the fly. Yeah, isn't uh, isn't Jeff, that Jeff Goldblum's Jeff character's name? Goldblum. He's Brundlefly. Yep. Yeah, that movie scared me as a kid. That's terrifying, especially when he starts falling apart and picking pieces off of himself. Yeah, and he's got like his stuff like in a jar, and and in the he just opens up the medicine cabinet and it's just filled with parts. Yes, <laughs> that's creepy. Yeah, uh, um, David Cronenberg stuff is creepy. Yeah, I I. I I, somehow to me that's like the least david cronenberg david cronenberg movie because it, it feels like it still has like a wider audience appeal but maybe not maybe i just saw it so many times i'm like yep this is normal for a movie <laughs> but um it's not like as surreal as like videodrome that's true but anyways uh i think Submariner's also here because there's a dude with winged feet and like scale pants kind of next to spider-man could yeah i uh, there's there's also the blob in the background too was there yeah, oh, I, yeah, yeah. on the left yeah. hand side i mean kind of looks like uh the blob from the wolverine origins movie but <laughs> oh god <laughs> <laughs> uh anyways yeah so uh nightcrawler here's a a um familiar voice it's it's this this all realities megan she's she's kind of ugly um I don't know why she's getting beaten it's just it's a weird random scene where it's just like she's getting beaten she's in the same room with everybody else and he saves her it's just kind of like why are they they're all prisoners why are they attacking her this was just a good 
plot contrivance to get her together to get him together with Megan. Although it could have worked for her just to be scared in the corner and for Nightcrawler yeah. to bump into her and be like, "Oh my God, Megan, what are you doing here?" It's just kind of a weird thing. Uh, the real Megan, though, is is being affected by this world and and turning into like a super strong creature. Yeah, the toxicity of the world is melting her flesh, and then eventually she adapts to it and becomes strong, and then disappears. Um, they also and, know and Kitty Pride dies, and then she disappears. Yep. They also know that uh, Phoenix. So it's Widget and Phoenix that are powering the train that are trying to get them back to the reality. Phoenix is the power, but she's she's kind of drained, uh, and so we have a scene with her and Alistair uh, kind of working through that. And that's when Ileana shows up. Yeah, so Kitty just revealed before she died that Ileana is the bad guy, which just seems kind of phoned in, but yep. uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, Nightcrawler finally reveals that he does have powers by teleporting out of his shackles and then punching his human counterpart. He grabs um, Megan and he's like, all right, let's go. We're getting out of here. And this is like the first time I guess she's felt any sort of like uh, human connection or emotion or something. Uh, and she 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 jumps into this little flying car with Nightcrawler, but she gets shot in the back by a justicer. And Nightcrawler's like, oh, my God, hang on. I'll get you to the doctor. And she's like, there's there's no doctors for us here. Yeah, uh, that was there's there's some sort of contrivance where it's a. Uh... It's a ripper shell, guaranteed kill every hit. Yeah. Okay. And so she is dying, I guess, in his arms. And as she's dying, she feels his warmth, his affections, and she turns into a beautiful Megan that we know. And then she dies on his chest. <laughs> and she's as she's dying, Nightcrawler, I'm all sparkly. I've never seen anything so beautiful. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah. But it's weird because it's not really Megan, so yeah. I don't know. So then you have kind of a duel between uh, Ileana and everybody else. And Rachel, who is not doesn't have her full power until somebody shows up and gives her her powers back. Then Kitty oh, Pride shows up, but he's, she's dressed in Megan's costume. And I was very confused about that. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the last we saw is Kitty Pride died and Megan disappears. And then Megan shows up, or Kitty shows up dressed in Megan's costume. So I was like, is this Megan and she just transformed into Kitty or is this Kitty who took over Megan's body? They never really explain it. And I don't know. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm confused, but then uh, Captain Britain and Betsy Braddock show up and they're running the world. Well, doesn't Il- Ileana kills Kitty again? Does she? I don't know. She's like, well, cause Kitty's like, I run this place. I'm in charge. And Ileana's like, Nope, I've been running this from the start. And then she blasts Kitty away. And then I don't think we see Kitty anymore, do we? I thought we saw her in the end, but I could be wrong. I don't think uh, we do, no. All right, I think she's dead again then. And <laughs> Megan Megan shows up at the end, so so I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I, I don't know either. Uh, Ileana turns into her, her real form, so I guess she get, gets killed by one of these those kill shots or whatever. Uh, but she's like, I died differently than everybody else, and she turns into like this giant demon who's invulnerable and Captain Britain's punching her. And then this universe is Captain Britain and Psylocke show up uh, and they, they fight Psylocke gives Phoenix her powers and Phoenix is ultimately able to bring Ileana back to human Ileana and put her under arrest. And the justicers are like, you're all under arrest. And they're like, what law have we broken? You're superheroes. 
And they're like, well, what defines a superhero? And they're like, well, you wear skin-tight uniforms and masks that cover your face. And they're all like, that's what you do. So by these laws, don't you have to arrest yourself? And they're like, whoa. <laughs> and, uh, and then somebody says, like, I think you should change your laws. <laughs> and then they're like, all right, well, we're going to go. And the justice is like, all right, well, I have paperwork to do. And if I ever see you again, you're mine. Yeah, so I'll be back tomorrow. But if you're, if you're still here... Then I'm arresting you. So I don't know. I feel like maybe we might have made that issue sound more interesting than it actually was. <laughs> but it was it was really hard to read that issue. It was. Oh yeah, <laughs> it, it was. Uh, it was difficult. Um, Wolverine number twenty five was not difficult to read at all because it's basically uh, the Jungle Book. Well, um, yeah, Wolverine twenty five was great because uh, it just moved. There's it's um, so few dialogue boxes and. So basically, Wolverine uh, owes somebody a favor, and he has to watch his kid as the as the guy goes into a gang war, and uh, he decides to tell the kid a, a bedtime story, and it's the Jungle Book, but it's it's a young Wolverine who was raised by uh, Wolverines. Wolverines. I have a question: Is this supposed to be an actual thing that happened to Wolverine? Because I feel like. I mean, the story starts off with, like, a young boy who was afraid was cast out. Let's call him Logan. So when I was a kid, I thought this was the origin of Wolverine finally being revealed. And um, but I feel like Wolverine Origins maybe borrowed some stuff from this story, maybe? Or do you I think don't, not? I don't, I don't think this ever happened. Wolverine never met a bunch of Wolverines and was, like, became part of their family. Um, it's the, it's the jungle book. I mean, yeah. all right. I just wonder I mean, if they drew any sort of, um, inspiration from the line where he's like, ah, this kid was cast away because he was weak and a runt because Wolverine origins. Wasn't he like a sickly little kid? Yeah. So he, he's a sickly little kid, um, until his healing factor kid kicks in. Right. Um, I, I, yeah, there were no, he, he never really, I guess. I mean, he doesn't really get cast away. He, I, I believe he kills everybody, but uh, spoilers. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. So, so yeah, I mean, yeah, they're kind of dabbling with, like, is this his real origin and, or is this not his real origin? You know, he kind of says, I could call him Logan, but he doesn't actually say that out loud, mm -hmm. which he's telling that to us, that this might be my origin. But um, it's the Jungle Book. Yeah. Um. He's instead of raised by monkeys, he's raised by Wolverines. And, One of the uh, Wolverines' name is Baloo, though, so that's yeah, which was really weird. It was it's like it feels a little too on the nose. Good thing you're owned by Disney now. Now you can't get sued. <laughs> he does. Uh, he does help the Wolverines kill a bunch of hunters, and uh, there's a funny line where he says, "and uh, and the pack wasn't hungry for most of that winter because Wolverines eat carrion, and the boy had given them plenty of that." And the little kid who was telling the story says, "What's carrion?" So, nothing. Forget I said that. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> So the boy uh, wasn't a coward anymore, and all of this is a big setup for a home invasion that occurs uh, that, that Wolverine takes care of most of, but uh, the boy, this little boy, is able to kind of prove his worth by helping take out the big bad guy. Saves his dad's life. What's his name? He's got a stupid name. Oh, the guy? P I don't Pidget. Know. Oh, Pidget. Or Pigeot. Pigeot, maybe? I don't know. P-I-G-G-O-T. 
who's got like a knife cane and, and seems to have the jump on him. Like Wolverine's occupied, the dad's occupied. and it's like a Dick Tracy or Batman villain. Kind of, yeah. And this kid is like, oh my God, my dad's in trouble. And he goes and grabs a cart and rams it into the back of Pidget like multiple times. Uh, and it's a, just enough of a distraction for one of the uh, goons to go after the kid. And, and Wolverine deals with the goon. And Wolverine's like, when the next generation rolls around, I know who I want to run, who I want running this end of town. Which is... All, which is great, except for the fact that Wolverine just leaves and he's like, okay, my debts. So, so the gang war ends with the one side going home and <laughs> it's still a gang war and nothing has been resolved. And this Pidgeot guy is just going to go after the kid again because he's already proven he will. Yeah. But now Wolverine doesn't, he's, the debt is paid, so he's out of it. So, I mean, thanks for nothing. It's I don't know. It was kind of a fun story. I mean, at the beginning, he's like walking around like, I'm Wolverine. I died. Sometimes I go by Logan, but here I go by Patch. Patch is rich and hangs out with the elite, but Logan, he hangs out with the scum. I've got a debt. So, I don't know. It it was kind of fun in that uh, sort of noir-ish way, and and the story just moves. It was kind of weird that he was wearing an eye patch for that whole scene where he's not Patch. Right. Right. I didn't say money, much of it made sense, but... Um, <laughs> I was like, why... It's just, just don't have him with an eye patch. Why does Logan wear an eye patch, too? Whatever. <laughs> X-Factor number 55 was fun. This was a Peter David issue. Yeah, X-Factor number 55 was fun. Um, what happens? So, Vera shows up. That's right. That's right. I owned this issue because on the cover it says the return of Mesmero. Uh, So some reason I bought X factor, the return of Mesmero, but this month I didn't buy the X-Men comic, which I was more a fan of. That's weird. Yeah, that is weird. (laughs) Could you only afford one? I, who knows? It could have been a situation where we were at the grocery store and I was like, Mesmero, will you buy me this comic? And there just didn't happen to be an X-Men comic for me to, to have i don't remember it's a mike mcnola cover uh it's this is a cover that i probably didn't like as a kid but i (laughs) I appreciate it more as an adult so yeah so uh vera's back and uh she's a prostitute yeah or is she because later on uh she's selling hot dogs and then later still she's doing other things so strange things are afoot and every time Beast bumps into her, she doesn't remember him. Even the times like an hour later or yep. five minutes later. Yep. She's like, who Whoa. are you? Yep. And uh, the rest of X Factor, they're, they're taking a look at Angel, taking a look for Angel. There's a scene of Angel in the moon, which Iceman's like, be, yeah. oh, either they're filming Batman 2 in the neighborhood or there's something I really need to check out. So Batman mania is still in full swing. And this is after his girlfriend, Opal, finally invited him upstairs. She's like, hey, why don't you come up to my apartment? And he's like, well, I would, but I got to check out this Batman or this bat signal because I think it's Angel. And then it turns out to be a kite. Yes. And then the kids say, hey, it's the Silver Surfer, which is pretty funny. Yes. Angel is still flying around and I guess he just sees the entire world on fire. Yeah, um, and then Scott is there, which I thought Scott was out of town. I didn't but, think uh, Scott was out of town. I thought Scott was like, Gene, marry me. 
And oh, she's like, so I got to go do a just, thing. And he's like, okay. all right, well, I'll be here. So. I just assume Scott's always going out of town ever since he went after Madeline. No, I um, don't think Scott's really got much to do these days. Okay. So he's uh, he's uh, he's kind of saying whatever. His perceptions are probably shaped by apocalypse. We better spread out and search immediately. Ship, um, don't call us if Gene calls. Yeah, if Gene calls, <laughs> it's very important. We're not here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, he, Beast and Iceman head out to go find Angel. They separate. Uh, but Beast is immediately... Um, uh, sidetracked by another Vera who's not a prostitute this time and, and not yet a hot dog salesman. She's just a girl walking to a cab uh, and then the cab blows up. But then he turns around and, and now Vera's selling hot dogs and he climbs on top of the hot dog machine and a big lizard g- grabs him and pulls him into the hot dog cart and they fight, which is kind of funny. They fight and the cart takes off and runs into a truck and and the lizard guy is gone, and Beast causes a traffic jam. Don't worry, folks. Tony Stark will cover it. Wait a minute. Nope. That was when I was with the Avengers. I uh, hope your insurance was paid. See ya. I'm out. And then he sees Vera on a subway train. Uh, he jumps onto the train. She gets out. And this is where we finally get uh, Mesmero. He shows up. And uh, he's like, why, it's your old friend Mesmero. One page before that, a little kid says, uh, the beast is riding on top of the subway car. And his mom says, no, dear, that was just a TV show, which they canceled shortly after they killed off poor Linda Hamilton. I forgot about that show. Do you remember that show, Beauty and the Beast? I do remember that it was a show. I (laughs) didn't watch it. I remember there being previews on TV. I didn't watch it either, but my mom watched it. So I probably (laughs) caught snippets of it here and there. Uh, it's funny because I, I think it was really um, marketed towards like like fans of romance, like soap opera romance. Like I think it was yeah. more high class, like more drama and whatnot. Um, yeah, but no, uh, I didn't. I don't know how they would kill off Linda Hamilton and then expect to continue to have a show. Did they bring like a different beauty on? Well, they probably like canceled the show and then they've said, well, we'll, we'll just kill off Linda Hamilton in the show. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about it, but it says shortly after they killed off poor Linda Hamilton. Well, it feels like know. whoever wrote this issue, Peter David was like, oh man, I really like that show. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Why do they, I mean, uh, it was Linda Hamilton, um, was, and this is maybe a dumb question, but was James Cameron involved somehow? I don't think so. I didn't. Because I feel when, like they were probably married at the time. And did maybe, they get married after Terminator or after so. Terminator 2? Oh, I don't know. Somehow, and I'm probably wrong, somehow I thought maybe he was like a producer or an executive producer or based on an idea by or something like that. But could I be. I could be completely wrong. But I anyways. Mean, not beyond an actress to pick up other gigs. No, not at all. No, who knows? So Mesmero shows up and, and uh, Beast is like, well, I know how to handle this. I just don't look at you. Oh, darn, I'm hypnotized already. <laughs> and so then he's he's fighting, I think, what ultimately turns out to be a bunch of illusions, but it's a whole bunch of crazy goons. Uh, Vera is there. She ultimately snaps out of her mes- mesmer... mesmer. Mesmer. Mesmeration. Mesmerity, and, and she 
she realizes what's happening and she starts beating up on on Mesmero. Even though Beast is still fighting these goons, uh, he throws these goons onto like the middle track of the subway, which I guess is bad. Like you don't ever want to be on the middle track. Um, I don't ever want to be on any of the tracks. No, but I guess the middle track is electrified because these people evaporate. Um, or are they just Mesmero's creations? They are, in the end, just Mesmero's creations because the conductor of the subway stops the train, runs back, is like, oh my god, what did I hit? And Beast is like, um, I guess you didn't hit anything. Well, that was weird. <laughs> so Mesmero's gone. Uh, Vera's back and she's like, hey, Beast, it's good to see you. And he's like, Sorry oh. About all that. It's like, glad you don't have shaved hair anymore. That was a weird look. And she's like, yeah, I put my life back together or something like that. I feel like this is forgetting the Vera who worked at like the bookstore and was like a cool hipster. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing here or why they're doing it. Uh, but she does say the last thing I was leaving, I, uh, leaving the school where I teach. Now the rest is blank. Uh, so it's nice to know you've gotten your life together, Vera. Love your hair, which is kind of like. I thought she had her life together. Yeah, it's kind of, I don't know. I feel feel weird about that where beast is like oh yeah when you had your half your hair shaved boy you were a mess <laughs> probably doing drugs and 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 guys who are you to talk beast who are you to talk but now she's got she's got full brown locks of hair and she's wearing overalls and a like a black shirt so she's got her life together no longer think, is she like a a shaved head punk with no future do you think uh peter david like really wanted to like wrap this up he was like i really hate how they just left vera as this punk lady who clearly had her life all messed up <laughs> peter david's just like some old grandfather fuddy-duddy who's like oh <laughs> look at these kids and their green hair Ha, get a job. I don't know. It's uh, weird. Yeah, I don't know. But it all turns out that the whole thing was a part of Infectious plan. And I don't know. Does, does Infectious ever appear again after this? I'm going to guess yes, because uh, they kind of leave it as a cliffhanger. But I don't know. I'll admit that my X Factor reading pretty much at this point uh, was limited to crossovers. And that's it. Uh, and then when I think the gold team, blue team formed, then I may have read some of those X-Factor issues. So from here on out, it's kind of a blank slate for me. Infectia next appears in X-Men number 27. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> Somebody who's not Jim Lee. Yeah, definitely not. Dug her out and said, hey, let's do an Infectia story. Let's, uh, let's uh, maybe it's Peter David. Let's wrap up that uh, infectious story that I started way back when. Uh, so good news, everybody. We're, we're five X-Factor issues away from Extinction Agenda. That's exciting. Yeah. Woo. That means we're five, uh, well, we're probably more issues of X-Men away because of X-Men is about to go double monthly again. Bi-weekly so or bi-monthly? Means we're, five issues, we're five issues away of, from New Mutants of Extinction Agenda as well. Oh. Uh, yeah, bi-monthly. Or bi-weekly. Or bi-weekly? Yeah, bi-weekly. Or bi-monthly. I don't know. <laughs> it's twice a month. Can we just leave it at that? Yeah, Adam, you got to you gotta cover Marvel Comics Presents 46, because I took one look at it, and I was like, nope. Um, Even the it, backup stories looked awful. 
It is not the conclusion of the Wolverine story, although I just feel like at this point we're killing time. Um, so Wolverine is still fighting the White Shadow and the Black Shadow, and he knows he has to kill the mutant that is casting both of them, and the Black Shadow wins out over the White Shadow, and then now there's a whole bunch of Black Shadows, and Wolverine is about to kill the giant mutant, and one of the Black Shadows is about to kill wolverine's lady friend and that's it i'm glad we summarized that because <laughs> one more issue in this story wraps up and then i think we get like a ghostwriter one because like because like ghostwriter's a thing now he's he's in the marvel universe uh when does barry windsor smith show up not for a while oh man we got like maybe 20 20 30 more issues maybe less maybe 15 but i don't know i don't know if i can do it the backup stories of these ones are not good. Um, they're characters that I've never heard of and therefore not good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Devil Slayer, Aquarian. Oh, it's Submariner. I know who that is. Um, the, the Submariner one is not good. These were not good stories. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm not covering these. No, they're, no. they're, they're, they're bad. Yeah. It's not good. Just not good. Uh... So that's right. it for this this month Oof. or this week or this episode, whatever however it is we function. Oh, by the way, guess who played the beauty or uh, the beast rather in Beauty and the Beast? I have no idea. It was Ron Perlman. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Played Hellboy, who was created by Mike Mignola, who did the cover of the X Factor issue. <gasps> oh my God! It all connects. It's all connected. Which referred to Linda Hamilton. So, yeah. Yeah, it all connects. I don't see anything about James Cameron in here. I probably made that up. But uh, that doesn't mean it's not true because I'm not clicking more of these links. There was a remake of the show, I guess, in 2012. Really? I guess. Who did that start? Written by George R.R. R. Martin as well as other writers. That's weird. George R.R. R. Martin was a TV writer for a lot of different shows before uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't see any... Uh... Uh, reference to that guy I talked about whose name is now escaping me for some reason. Oh, the remake was a CW show. That was probably fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you go, Adam. Um, there you go, Jeremy. Anything else to, to cover on this, um, as Brian would call, barn burner of a fatigue issue? Well, uh, <laughs> I, our barn burner episodes have been like two hours. How long has this been? Oh, I don't know. Hour 40? Oh, well, I guess this is a barn <laughs> burner then. That barn is burned. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I got nothing else. Okay. Well, until next time, everybody. Uh, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. Yeah.